0: Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time for another episode of RapidTesting.ai, a show where we help B2B and CPG marketers generate data that turns into money. And the woman who seems to know how to make this magic work, Tessa Berg. Hey, Tessa.
1: Hello. How
0: are you? Where are you you holed up? Where are you bunkered down? Or are you out in the world again here?
1: Nope. We are at home in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's beautiful sunny day in tropical Cleveland.
0: This must be Cleveland Day on the Funnel Radio Network because earlier today we had a guest who puts the publisher of Cleveland Edible, a magazine about the restaurant scene in uh, Cleveland there. I don't know why Cleveland's the focus here today, but happy to make it so here. It's been many years since I've been back to Cleveland.
1: Ah, oh, it's a wonderful place. And today our guest is also from Cleveland And we were coming into the show, that was like some grim news. (laughs) I was like, jeez. But today will be a really great conversation about bright spots. The one thing that we've seen is companies, especially in medical and bioscience, have not just pivoted, but that have had to change what it is that they're selling or making or bringing to market. And as marketers, it is a challenge for us to kind of keep up. So we wanted to talk to someone who's more at the source of those changes and what's going on in bioscience. And our guest today is Matt McBride from BioEnterprise and I'll let him say hello.
2: All right. Hello everyone. Happy to be here. You know, when Tessa and I originally started talking through this, I had to think about the audience and ultimately I think that in bioscience and especially commercialization you know, we're always marketing, we're always selling. And I think that if you're not, you're probably not long for a job in tech transfer commercialization, but it's always trying to find the the niche markets that might be a good fit for your technologies and how to sell them correctly. Because if you don't fit into the right sales cycles with large companies, even a great idea can fall flat. So I think that, you know, that's something that I've learned over the last 10 years. But I guess with that, do you you want me to go through my intro?
1: Yeah, I think that what I found really interesting in those early conversations is how well your journey has prepared you for the role you have now at Bioenterprise. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and those experiences that shaped where you are?
2: For sure. Thanks. So for the group that most likely probably doesn't know, Tessa and I kind of grew up together. So we've known each other for 20 plus years, both from Mentor, Ohio. I went on to go to the Naval Academy, focus on engineering and international relations while I was at the Naval Academy. And, you know, I think during that time, and probably in an odd way, learned a little bit about innovation. And Innovation there was finding out ways to get around some of the rules (laughs) and, you know, you just, you figured out interesting ways to, uh, to make your life a little easier from the Naval Academy went on to Athens, Georgia, went to supply school there, then spent about 18 months in Far East Asia. So part of the time in Diego Garcia, small Island, and then Singapore. Again, in those situations kind of being, put in odd places, odd, tight, cramped places, you learn how to make the best of it. And a lot of that, it's necessity breeds innovation. So beyond there, I felt like all that training got me ready to go to Afghanistan for about eight months and then serve as the program integrator for the v 22 Osprey and Chinook helicopter at Boeing. All of which necessitated some sort of sales and innovation, especially in Afghanistan where Being at Camp Leatherneck where you're in the middle of nowhere and you're just trying to figure things out. And I think that from a military perspective, what I would always say is, I mean, it's you don't think of it as innovation during the time when you're actually there as much as you do survival. And so I think one thing that I always try to tell my team and people that we chat with is you are innovating in some way. And it's just really getting down to the kind of the brass tacks of look at your life and what do you do to make it easier? And so I urge people as I'm mining for innovations to really think about everything that they do and the processes that they follow and what they do to make that easier for themselves. Anyways, so this kind of leads right into got out of the military, joined Cleveland Clinic Innovations where i was really initially dealing with internal almost like continuous improvement projects and then moved on to manage inventor services which essentially meant i ran our version of a shark tank so weekly we'd get in about not weekly but we'd get in 300 invention disclosures per year and each one of those would be reviewed with my team and we would decide We would look at market, we would look at competitive analysis, we would look at clinical feasibility, technical feasibility, and then intellectual property. And so that was a weekly thing that we did every Thursday just to make sure that things we were moving forward with were feasible. Because when I originally came in, I think a lot of what was happening is projects would be worked kind of in a silo, and it would move forward, but probably shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. which ended up resulting in you know people trying to market these things and saying, well, there is no market or people aren't necessarily hungry for this product at this time. So I felt like that was a good vessel and filter you know, to make sure that we took that 300 and funneled it down to the amount that we really should be working.
1: You said so much there, and I have a few. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like your life journey has sort of prepared you to lead innovation in this type of situation, both from that global perspective and from the perspective that all of us are now having this shared experience where we need to pivot and try and prioritize what are the best ideas? What is the best way to innovate? So what were some of those criteria that you used to say, yes, these are the ideas that should move forward versus these are the ones that might need more definition?
2: So I would say, and right off the bat, we battled a lot with, is this an idea or an innovation? So are we getting a cocktail napkin sketch given to us, or are we getting something that that's had some studies and has some legs behind it as far as potential funding? So what we would do is during those meetings and continue to do it at Bioenterprise is to look at that addressable market and I don't want to give a finite answer around what those markets, what the dollar amount is, because I don't I don't think anyone has that perfectly kind of sketched out, and it kind of depends. Is it healthcare IT? Is it therapeutics and diagnostics? Or is it medical devices? All different, because it's going to yeah. be a much longer time span to get things to market. And, you know, it might be, I mean, the, the one term that constantly would flow through my head was just straight return on investment. So how much time and money are we going to spend on this to get it to market? And does it make sense or are the obstacles too great? I mean, I can speak from the clinic's perspective. Well, I, maybe I won't, but <laughs> I'll speak from a past life. that There's not as many therapeutics out there from the clinic because the risk and reward is it's vast. And so being healthcare systems... But I think what we see is healthcare systems that have a lower margin return are less willing to invest in some of those more risky technologies. As clear as mud as that might be, I think you really have to take it case by case. But I mean, in general, the criteria that I mentioned earlier being IP, market assessment, competitive analysis, technical feasibility, you kind of lump that and say, all right, let's talk about this as a group and figure out if this return would be worth putting more resources into.
1: That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about how you apply that process and your experiences to what you're doing now at Bioenterprise.
2: So left the clinic almost a year, a little over a year ago, to go over to Bioenterprise where I'm able to, I've looked at it, I mean, originally the founders of BioEnterprise are Case Western University Hospitals, Cleveland Clinic, and now Metro has joined the board as well. So a nice representation of our ecosystem here in Cleveland. And I looked at leaving the clinic as being to go with BioEnterprise to be more of that regional hub, and because that's what BioEnterprise is meant to do. So being able to take over. I mean, you know, to to be honest, if we go back to the process that. Uh, we instilled at the clinic, I would say that upon initial, and and this still goes for what we're doing at Enterprise, but I would say once an idea comes in, doing that quick triage of the idea within, at the clinic it was three to four weeks, doing that triage and deciding if it met the criteria to put more resources onto it. And I think what you would find In most organizations that have been doing this sort of work is things just tend to stay projects that probably shouldn't need to be shelved and other ones need more resources applied to them so under me sits an analyst team that does a lot of that initial research and what i would say is just even the last three months going through a new portfolio review that we sit down every monday We go through every company we have, any updates, and then kind of just have that come-to-Jesus moment where it's, do we work on this or do we not? And if we don't, how do we, uh, you know, a word I uh, like to use is raising the entrepreneurial IQ. So if we're saying no, how are we teaching our inventors at the same time to not say, you know, this this isn't a fit, but also we want you to come back to us and and work with us potentially on other projects or figure out ways to enhance what you already have. I would say we've completely adopted what I was doing at the clinic. Now we're doing it at Bioenterprise. And the only, I'd say the big difference would be that a lot of the things you could get at uh, the clinic could be those cocktail napkin ideas I was talking about. We tend to get things that are further along the road at Bioenterprise because for the most part, it is formed companies. But there's also the institutions that we work with where we try to um, move forward individual ideas.
1: That's great. So I know at Bioenterprise, and really with all innovation and in tech, there's a lot of physical collaboration and sort of being there is really important to pushing some of these ideas and medical device and bioscience products forward. How have you guys had to adjust your process since the start of the pandemic?
2: Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, I think like all of us, like even the beginning of this call, like you have a handful of people at work who know how to use every system (laughs) that that you put in front of them from a digital standpoint, and you have those that don't. And so our Monday meetings are probably 25, 30 people. I'm trying to run it through Zoom. And to be very honest, it's been awesome. <laughs> I think we've acclimated, really, it has. It's, I mean, not so much working from home, but I mean, I've dealt with in the past having to do a lot of virtual meetings that were just a mess. And I think our team has adapted really well. And we're, as far as clients go, it's a lot of cold calls, cold but warm calls because they are our clients. And it's just it's kind of catching people at the right time when they're not feeding a baby or <laughs> dealing with a kid out in the front lawn. But we still do that. And so I, you know, I think that the one part of the physical limitations that that I think will hurt is a lot of our a lot of the incoming inquiries that we get come from networking events and random networking events so it's showing up to a plug-and-play meeting and showing up to you know a hymns event cleveland clinic and that without that you know i some of the serendipitous sort of interactions that would happen aren't Mm. happening but i don't i think can be made up for in other areas
1: well, that's good so paul was waving around again uh, do we need to cut for a commercial paul? we do
0: let's take a quick break let everybody digest this okay all right so hang on we'll be right back and we just want to tell everybody what in this quick break that uh, during this global pandemic A lot's changed. Marketing has probably changed, and sales as we know it. To plan and prepare for what's next, sign up for a one-hour remote digital readiness session with Tenlo. We'll talk about opportunities to align your digital marketing tactics to your business's goals today. Plus, you'll receive a digital readiness playbook with immediate next steps to execute measurable digital marketing tactics to take you through today and tomorrow. For more info and to sign up, it's pretty simple. Go to tenlo.com. That's T-E-N-L-O, tenlo.com. All right. We want to make sure everybody doesn't miss that because we're all trying to figure out what's the new normal here. In the world, are your guests in? Do you think things have changed or is it too early to tell? the way you do business, what you sell, how you sell, all that?
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I don't necessarily think it's changed in an unprecedented way. And when when I say that, I want to be careful. What I mean is, you know, innovation is always trying to cater to what's new and what's needed. So I've just seen a lot of pivoting of ideas to address what this current need is. So, from an innovation standpoint, I think it's par for the course, because you're always trying to address needs, but I mean, from a work standpoint, yeah, of course, I mean, it's when there's not really clarity, especially around funding and where that's coming from, or an excess of funding from the state or government, how do you dial into that and how does that change how you do business? And that's kind of something that we're it's changing every day and we're trying to figure out how to best deal with that and help our client companies deal with that as well.
1: So I think from our perspective, it's almost like we've had to put on innovator and inventor hats where before we were pretty comfortable in our own routines and in the way that we sold and the way that we provided services to clients. So what are some of the things that your portfolio companies do to bring people along? And very quickly. So I think a challenge that we've seen both in our own company with our client companies is we know we want to pivot. We know we want to do something new, different and make sure it solves the problems of now, but we got to stay aligned and stay together. So how are they doing that?
2: So I'll give you an example of, I mean, there's several examples, but one that I find kind of just striking is we do have a company called Neldrum, and they had essentially dealt with wound healing and I think uh, different patches with hydrogels. So once this happened and once the need for PPE sort of came out, they completely pivoted and started making these face shields that were antibacterial, and that became their sole business. And that was kind of an overnight decision. Prior to, I, I don't think they'd ever produced, I won't say they ever produced a face shield, but now mass quantities. And to the point where they now have a large contract that's about to be signed in probably the next 24 hours. So you have people like that But what I would say is they just, they read the tea leaves quickly and decided to go that direction. And then you have others that are, I was speaking with the CEO earlier today, Jacob Sheridan from TPA Stream. Theirs is a fit. Their job is to make operations easier within a hospital. So if they can bring down cost in any way, it just tends to be a natural fit. And people like that are succeeding in a big way because They're not necessarily rowing in an opposite direction. I had a great conversation. I know we're going to talk about partnerships, but I think this might be a good way to segue into that a little bit. We have a relationship with UCSF Health Hub out in San Francisco, and I had a conversation with their executive director today. We've been meaning to catch up, and his thought is there's kind of two categories, and it's either... You're able to adapt to COVID just because you can. And then there's people that can't. And there's just business models that don't fit into this model. So, you know, I think what he's seen is actually a huge spike in a positive way in mental health. And he's more in the IT side, the mental health apps. Mm -hmm. He he said they've, they've never been so successful in getting funding than they have over the last two months. So I think that there's a paradigm of which companies are willing and able to fit the COVID model and others who just aren't able just based on the market right now.
1: Yeah, that is really interesting. So speaking of the partnerships, tell us how that has evolved and has it opened up any new opportunities um, as a result of the pandemic?
2: Yeah, so... A part of my role while I was at the clinic was business development, which was essentially building an aligned system, which would bring in sort of, if you look at what the clinic's really good at, or you look at what most healthcare systems are good at, it normally doesn't include manufacturing, app development, any activities that would go around therapeutics and CROs. So it was kind of looking at filling those gaps, like what do our companies need? that we can't currently provide. So a partnership that's actually been really positive over the last just week or two is a company out of Japan called Murata Manufacturing. And I think this is an interesting one because it shows that companies whose focus wasn't initially healthcare are working to help healthcare companies or help and partners. So Murata focuses on manufacturing, aerospace, automotive, but they're really good at making small sensors. And so I have a need internally for small sensors. So we've been able to put those two together and have those partners come in, partner with our companies, and they both provide critical pieces to each other's business, but wouldn't be typical partnerships if you were to go back a year ago. So I think it was getting those companies that want to get more into healthcare, and, and in all honesty, I mean, These companies like Amarada, who are revenues dropping from a consumer standpoint, they're trying to find ways to make that up. And I think we're on the receiving end of that, say, all right, well, we can figure out partnerships that could potentially do that for you and in healthcare, because it's obviously a hot button right now. Otherwise, I would say some of this or most of this group is in Cleveland. The way that I try to sell partnerships UCSF Health Hub would be a good example. San Francisco, they don't have a ton of issues with funding. They don't have a ton of issues with ideas. They sometimes have issues with plugging in that clinical validation piece. So when I'm selling, I'm going out to those types of individuals. You know, not to say that there isn't great institutions out there, but I think it's just just a saturation of ideas that are out there. So I try to bring them in. To plug them into our local institutions and create those sorts of partnerships as well, because we've seen a lot of success in doing clinical validation locally with external companies.
1: That's really interesting. So let's say I am a company, I have found a pivot, I wanna get into the medical space. Like, how did you find Murata, or how would I, as Murata, like let someone know, like a bio enterprise, that I have an innovation that can help solve a problem now.
2: Right. And that's hard. And I think that goes back to the physical distancing that we were talking about earlier is this relationship started when I was at the clinic probably eight years ago when one of my main physicians was speaking at a conference in Los Angeles. And they just said, well, we want to talk to him. They followed up with me and it became eight years of us kind of having meetings and talking through. So I don't know if it. these are the sorts of innovations that I think are going to be new to our spaces. How do we, from a sales and marketing perspective, get those inquiries? Because if people don't know what we're doing, then in their mind, we're not doing it. So yeah. I think we're trying, and this is a little more passive, but you know, from a website perspective, just from a how do we properly blast media out to get responses? But it just, it's, it's one that I struggle with, but a lot of it is going to be because of people on this phone call and sharing our networks and just knowing what we all do.
1: So it's almost like when you have that need, it's a different type of communication and and virtual networking to be able to get in front of the right people to say, Hey, who is available to help solve this problem, provide a piece of the puzzle. Right. Um, do you guys have any events coming up, or any are you thinking about virtual events that might help with uh, yeah. making those connections?
2: Yes. Yeah, so we have, and I'm I'm going to send this over after. But so we have a we're calling it a bio edu bio education web series. So the business of bioscience, mitigating new market risks emerging from the crisis, forecasting bioscience investment trends in the wake of COVID, and then raising non-dilutive capital in a stressed economy. So those are just events that we're doing. But Case Western School of Medicine is doing a ton. Jumpstart is doing a number. And so we were partnering with jumps uh, with Case Western on a few of these. And we're, we're looking for panelists from the entire ecosystem. So I've noticed a lot of collaboration here from at least the event standpoint right now. And how do we deal with this collectively? You know, speaking of jumpstart, we have monthly meetings, but we had a COVID related meeting recently, which has jumpstarted ourselves and about, let's say 14, 15 other partners. And we spent about two hours going through 100 plus, it was probably approximately 100 different COVID related technologies. And I think the most important part there is we sat there and said, not just like, here's our report out, but here's where we need help and here's how you can help. And so I thought that that was an extremely positive sign that the ecosystem is moving in the right direction.
1: So I imagine in Cleveland, It's awesome that you have such a great, strong, collaborative community. Are there other cities around the country that you guys are modeling after or that you've seen this type of collaboration also be very successful?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I had spent during my time at the Global Center trying to create that ecosystem. I was doing a lot of primary research into different groups around the country. And I'd say the obvious ones are going to be San Francisco. But let me even start this off by by saying something my CEO always says that I think it's a great statement, but we're not going to be Boston, but we're going to be a great Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I like that because it's it, it's you know if we're trying we have to understand what our constraints might be and I think that as we look through the different so we spent about a week out in Cambridge uh, earlier this fall touring all their innovation groups i've had many conversations there's a group called hti out in denver and essentially it's, it's similar to what we were trying to do at the global center and then san francisco and austin which where they have the uh I'm forgetting the incubator right now but i i spent some time out there when i was still at the clinic but it's just trying to understand how all these groups can work together. And that's the theme though, is it's not all these disparate things going on. It may be disparate, but somehow they funnel into one end game. And that's where I think maybe historically we've struggled a bit. And I think that's essentially why I went to buy Prize to figure out how we can pull all these pieces together to work towards an end. So that's why I, I love what we're doing with the COVID technologies. And hopefully this brings us together and keeps us together.
1: I feel that way about a lot of things that, you know, this has definitely been dire and extremely stressful, but there are these bright spots that are making us strong right. and becoming a stronger community. I love that phrase, the best Cleveland we can be. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it is. Cause we, we can't pretend to do things that just aren't us. So let's just, right. And, you know, and I'll say we had a call, the chairman of our board is the chief operating officer of uh, university hospitals. And we had a call last, and he was the head of their ventures group. But what I would say coming and his his entire background is around pandemic crisis related issues. So it just, it's just perfect that he has taken on that role. So uh, Dr. Eric Beck. But I would say, you know, we spent about an hour on a call and I came out of it feeling really positive, which, you know, we're talking about a pandemic. So, you know, there's not much that you can come out of that with with a smile on your face. But I mean, he in doing this, just the response that he's already seen has just been amazing and, and not just from his own team, but nationally and how the landscape is changing and how, I mean, think about telemedicine. Think about that. I mean, just starting there, telemedicine has been something that's been, I wouldn't say up and coming, but a growing field, but there's been a lot of problems around reimbursement around. So now you're getting these telemedicine companies who are now getting reimbursed because they have to, there's, there's kind of no option. I mean, we reached a point where a lot of these, potential groundbreaking things are going to come through because we need them. And, you know, the same goes with the FDA and they're fast tracking a ton of things that otherwise might not be fast tracked. So from my standpoint where I sit and in an innovation standpoint, I have not seen a downtick in it at all. I've probably seen more and I think that's, that's awesome. Cause I, you yeah. know, Just to know that there's all these ideas out there and people just ready and needing help. And that's where, from a marketing sales standpoint, that's where we kind of step in as well to say, we know you're at home right now with your kids and you you may have some downtime. You may be down some resources, but we will step in and be that marketing and business development force for you. And so I think I feel like there's a lot of reception to that.
1: That's awesome. Paul, before we go, do you have any questions? Usually a lot more talkative in these interviews.
0: Well, you guys, you know, you're old friends here. I don't want to interject in this conversation here. I just wonder if this is going to set back biomedical development because investors have lost money or they're going to be hesitant to invest in new technologies or does it accelerate it because it shows the need we got to come up with all sorts of new techniques and technologies we've rested on our laurels too long even just testing the physical you know look look at the difficulty we're having just rolling out tests the most technological advanced nation in america and we can't test millions of people all at once for some reason yeah Um, so is it is it going to be i know it's hard to to look into the crystal ball but is this going to slow things down for a while you would think Or is it going to accelerate it and you could make that, too? I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's a great question and an answer that is probably many, many pay grades above me.
1: But
2: but no, but what I would say is not to complicate this, but both. I mean, I think you're going to see your companies that aren't able to adapt. You're probably going to see them go away. But I think on the other side, you're going to see some new innovative companies that are gonna step in, not necessarily their place, but they will step in. Now, from a funding perspective, that's tricky. I mean, like when I was talking to uh, the guy from UCSF earlier, Mark Goldstein, he seemed to say funding is going on, and not to say that this is true for everywhere, but funding from a COVID perspective was looking awesome, looking great, no issues. But then he also said the same thing I just said is where the companies that aren't able to adapt are probably won't get funded right now. I mean, that's mm-hmm. you know, we had that's, a show
0: this the, morning there where know. the guy said he's a big sales trainer. And he says, you know, the problem is all these problems do is expose the weaknesses in our system or the weaknesses in our company. Right. So it yeah. it's a natural You know, the weak will not survive and the strong will thrive. And uh, that's always true in every one of that. It's harsh to put it that way, but that's really what seems to happen.
2: Well, it does. And, you know, what I would say, too, though, is I think in the long term, this, uh, you know, moving out a few years, I feel like the weaknesses, as you just said, that we're seeing might be in the FDA. Might be in, I mean, not to say that they don't do their job correctly but just to say do we need to fast track more things do we need to get things out quicker and how does that affect funding right well the, know,
0: the way we I, dealt with the crisis the 20 sorts. years ago it may not be the way we have to deal with them coming forward here so yeah right yeah right. okay that's my only thought and you're talking about biomed <laughs> here and i don't know on the one hand do you think biomed boy if anybody was funding by i'm going to put any money into it i'm putting it into biomed these days here in any way shape or form but maybe okay. It's too early to tell, I don't know. Well,
2: and valuations are different right now, just based on where we're at. And investors wanna make sure that they're getting their return on investment. So I think as things settle a little bit and, and valuations even out, we'll start seeing a lot more investment. And what I would say is we have a group called uh, G2G that we work with and they do their government consulting essentially we have probably 40 plus federal or state opportunities to get funding for these startups. I mean, there's, so uh, I'd say the government has stepped in a good amount to help uh, a lot of these startups and keep them afloat,
0: at least for the time being, so. Okay, well. Well, it sounds like we've morphed into a whole nother show. We went way over here, but that's good stuff, you yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, and I was just going to say as a closing thought that I think is really important for anyone in product or business development or marketing is if you work at a bigger company and you need to pivot and you need to pivot now, start looking at that startup community. Because as Matt shared, they're much more agile. They can move faster and they can make those changes much faster in a larger company. As I go like, to concern I have is, you know, with the larger midsize enterprise businesses, they can't do that, but they might be producing a small piece of the puzzle. So keep networking, even if we're not all together and see where you can be a part of that bigger picture
0: and get a cool background like I've got here on your thing. Yes, I know. Not just my office. I have an American flag back here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. all, right. all right. Take us out, Tessa.
1: Well, thank you, Matt, so much for being our guest today. This was extremely interesting and a lot of information to process. And if people want to hear what's next week, maybe we'll have someone from the FDA. Actually, another good friend of mine works for the FDA.
0: There you go. That'd be fascinating, (laughs) actually. Yeah.
1: Lens on this situation. But if you want to follow rapid testing.ai, you can go to Podbean. This will also be turned into a podcast that you can download later and visit tenlo.com to grab that recording. This will also be our last episode, is rapid testing.ai since the pandemic has changed, or really, rapid testing was already sort of a medical term, but now more so than ever. So we'll be changing the name to be revealed next month. Uh-huh. They- Stay tuned. Yes, stay tuned. But it will be the same type of subjects. How do we use data insights in our relationships with partners and customers to accelerate marketing? So still that test and learn data-driven approach will be the subject. And, yeah, that's all we got for this week.
0: Test and learn. Those are the new topics of today, no matter what it applies to. Test and learn. Everybody wants to test more than ever on everything here suddenly. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for joining us here today. Thanks. You've been listening to another episode here on the Funnel Radio Network. For at work listeners like you.